So here's a really good opportunity. Um, questions you might have from some of the talks that Michael has given over the weekend or particularly this morning. Um, feel free to, well, don't be shy, <laughs> uh, but just speak up. If, raise your hand if you've got a question and then we can pitch it over to Michael. Yeah, you can. Oh, I can. I can ask you some questions, but I'll I'll let I'll give people an opportunity first, and um, I'll just take this up. Uh, I I want to just kick off though with a, a question I've been burning to uh, ask you all weekend, and that is actually not about you per se, but about your wife Dina, who's also from Egypt. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about her and her family, uh, and how they came to Australia? Uh, and obviously then, you know, how you met. Sure. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for that. Uh, yes, so Dina and her family are also Egyptians. They're from Egypt, um, but they spent 10 years in Saudi Arabia. So Dina's parents are doctors, uh, and so Dina and her brother Sam were in international school uh, for yeah, a large part of their high schooling. Um, and in that country, you're not allowed to, you know, have church. So they had sort of home churches uh, just with another couple of families. Um and for the most part, it was great. You know, she had a great childhood. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Dina's auntie was in Australia, and so they were eventually planning to move to Australia. But just before they did, um, there was... Uh, so in the hospital that um, uh, my in-laws were working at, there was sort of... Um, uh, it was either the hospital leadership or new government leadership, but new leadership had come in that didn't like the fact that my father-in-law was a Christian. Um, and so um, they gave him a very hard time and um, Dina and her brother and her mum were able to leave Saudi Arabia, but he wasn't able to leave. Um, and it was quite threatening because it, it, in terms of immigration, they only had a specific time to leave the country and get to Australia. And it was getting really, really close to the deadline. They were able to make it, but he remained in Saudi Arabia because of the fact that he's a Christian. Um, but praise God, thankfully, um, someone that he knew in the hospital had contacts with the prince <laughs> of Saudi Arabia in God's providence and sovereignty. And through that connection, he was able to flee Saudi Arabia to come to Australia just in the nick of time. Uh, if that didn't happen, we don't really know whether he would st still be alive. Yeah. Well, I, really I didn't answer the second half. Yeah, so they came to, they came to Australia in 99 and... So I've come from a Presbyterian church that is ethnic, so it's Arabic English. I grew up there. Um, a lot of people that came from Egypt and Middle Eastern countries went to that church. And uh, when she came, actually my father introduced me to her because they, we were just sort of same age. He wasn't trying to do anything, just same age. You can be friends with, with her and her brother and so forth. But years later, we served together for a long time, actually in music ministry. Uh, and years later, we, um, yeah, we got engaged and got married. Um, you talk about working in an Arabic church uh, before. How do you find um, Arabic Christianity uh, different to Australian Christianity? Yeah. Is, is that a fair question to ask? Very fair question. So maybe not Christianity, but more so like church. Mm. Um, so the, a couple of differences I think I was mentioning to someone else um, uh, over the weekend. Uh, when I was there uh, leading the... So I went back to be a pastor there for a few years and I led the English ministry very different to the Arabic ministry. Their strategy is different. So the Arabic ministry is, they, they're live streaming, they've got cameras everywhere, they're live streamed to other Middle Eastern countries because they're trying to reach Arabs in all, in all parts of the Middle East uh, where we are trying to reach just 
people in Sydney <laughs> with the gospel. So we're trying to reach anyone, uh, multicultural, multigenerational. They're reaching Arabs. That's one difference. Um, the second difference is worship. Um, and so it's, it's not um, normal for them to have small groups or growth groups. They would usually sit down and listen to the pastors, you know, preaching. So that's, that's, that, that's sort of normal, but they would do more of it, you know. They, you know, for an Arabic church that come on Sunday, they do Sunday night, they do Friday night, uh, you know, they have prayer meeting every Wednesday night. Like it's, they're committed, they're active, but it's more so from the pastor and the elders to the people. The other difference that you would be interested to hear is music. The music is just, it's lively, it's loud, and there's lots of drums, lots of, you know, so yeah, it's um, a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people who are sort of, they, they see and experience the worship of, of Arabic Christians are very much attracted to it. The last one that I didn't want to, I wasn't thinking of mentioning, but I sort of did mention in the talk was the warmth and generosity and hospitality. It's, it's very normal for Arabic Christians to just hug and kiss and have you over their house and, and share food. And I think that's really part and parcel of the Christians in, in the Middle East and the Christians, Arabic Christians here. We just share life together over food and we grow together that way. Okay, great. Okay, other questions or from the floor? Yeah, Mick. Yeah, sure. So th that particular um, tip I got from Sam Chan's book. Um, sure. So the question is, uh, so Mick was asking, you talk about missional communities trying to invite non-Christians over uh, to your house with, your Christ with Christians, and that could be awkward. What do you say? What do you ask? Um, and so I was saying that the tip that I used um, yesterday or, or this morning was from uh, a book by Sam Chan, which is skeptical uh, mission in the skeptical world or something like that i'll get you the name i'll give it to mark so he can send it to you but his whole thesis is when you when you meet with someone who's a non-christian uh, find out everything about them and be interested in what they believe uh, and what you want to do is bring them into your sort of your community and say hey this is yeah, now i know you know what you believe this is what i believe well why don't you come over and and establish that relationship I was just saying yesterday that I'm more and more um, convinced that really good evangelism and making disciples comes through friendships. And so I think that, uh, you know, it's easier for me to, to sit next to someone on the plane tonight and say, hey, this is the gospel, you know, and then blurt it out and go and not see them ever again. And that's good and that's fine and I should do that. But I think it's more effective when you establish a relationship with that. That's more costly, actually, to establish a relationship with someone, to become friends with someone, and to commit yourself to being friends with them, to pray for them and to pray with them, and to invite them into your community, invite them into your church, invite them into your growth group. So, for example, this year, uh, next year, sorry, I'm going to be in, encouraging our uh, connect groups, our small groups, to have, you know, once a term at least, where every single person is inviting a friend. And that's an opportunity. So have the opportunities within the church calendar and in your growth groups to have specific times when you are inviting someone from your gym or your soccer or your you know knitting club or whatever it is mm -hmm. to bring them into the community they don't have to come on a sunday morning that might be too much 
But they'll say yes to coming to your house, probably, or to the pub. So just start getting them involved into your community and just let conversations fly. And I think that will lead to gospel conversations. Can I ask a follow-up question? I know you've been over to um, New Zealand with the Grace Presbyterian Church, which is... I haven't. Oh, you haven't been? No, I'd love to, but I haven't yet. Ah, okay. They'll say it in Ah, okay. Um, I'm wondering if you might comment, though, on their philosophy. They have, uh, it's a new Presbyterian denomination in New Zealand, which is evangelical and reformed. Um, But they have a philosophy of discipleship through evangelism. So a bit like what you were really saying at the end there that Simon picked up on is doing mission uh, is actually the best way to disciple one another. As As we actually go and make disciples, we become a better and uh, closer disciple. Your comments on that? Yeah. So, uh, yes, absolutely agree. So I, I usually say to our church, we do these evangelism stuff together. Um, we may not see any fruit of it, but we'll see fruit in ourselves. Why? Because it grows us. When we, when we go out together on mission, we actually grow ourselves. We, God is working by His Spirit in us. It unites us as God's people when we go out on mission together. It grows us as God's people. We finally, we sort of realize, it sort of clicks. Oh, this is what I'm doing. This is who I am and this is what my mission is. And it's so great doing it together with someone else. As I said, and as Mark will tell you, the the short-term mission to Thailand, it's so encouraging. It's so uplifting. It grows us as Christians. So doing it together, being on mission together, certainly is one of the, one of the main ways we grow as Christians is to be on mission together, I think. Um, and serving together, not not just being on mission, but part of that is serving together, serving each other together, um, praying together, growing together is, is is part and parcel of making disciples. Okay. Um, by the way, you can text me your question if you feel like you're too nervous to put your hand up. And uh, yeah, Samantha. Wonderful question. Vital. Do you want to just repeat the question? So, sorry, my bad. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> How vital is exegesis in the Bible, catechisms, and good doctrine in the church? Is that the question? And, and expository, expository preaching. Yeah. yeah. Compared to topical. Compared to topical and stuff. Thank you. I think it's vital. that here, here, Here's what I think. The Word of God transforms us. Full stop. So if we're just saying things that we think or that it's parallel to the word, yeah, that might be good. But the word, it's the word. Did you notice that I that was read? I still read it in my sermon because I believe that the word of God is transformative. And so that's why, you know, people like us, we believe in expository preaching because we want to teach you the word. We don't, I don't, you're not going to benefit from my ideas or my opinions, but you will benefit by the spirit of God through the preaching of his word. And we get that promise in the Word of God. And I think that things like catechisms, I, I, I use the New City Catechism for my kids, um, and I've been doing it for, for years now. And even my four-year-old now, almost four-year-old, has a couple of catechisms down his sleeve, up his sleeve, and he thinks it's awesome. He thinks he's awesome. But, <laughs> but I, it's just a, it's a project for when he's older, because as he's older... He'll remember those things and then, then it'll be real for him and he'll know what it means. So I think if you can bring it at home, because discipleship is also at home and into the church in different ways, even in C-Kids, oh, not C-Kids, sorry, Sunday school ministry, I think 
whatever you do, if it's straight from the word, will be beneficial. It doesn't have to be dry, but from the word. How do you train up members? Yep, got it. Now I'm in. I'm, I've got the system now. <laughs> How do you train up members to be good disciples of the word? Is that the question? That's an awesome question. So, I I think the first thing that we were talking about yesterday, or the second the second talk, of meeting up together to read the word together, and to you know see what it means together. That's one thing. Let's go back from the family home life at first reading the word together in church what 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 you're doing every sunday he mark is actually teaching you how to read the word by expository preaching he's training you how to read the word um, that's one way in your small groups your small groups i assume is based on your sermons that is also another way of training you to read the word uh, together in small discipleship groups but also it, it also comes with other things so I think, so for example, th this part, last year, our young adults got together and talked about theology with one of our, we've got someone at our church who's actually a lecturer at the college, so he'll go through things with them. Next year, we're going to do this, a very similar thing, but for the whole church, once a term, we're going to actually do some training on theology. It doesn't hurt, you know, sorry if I'm giving you more work to do, but training in theology, you know, if you want to delve into deeper, I think that, that helps, and I think it's, it's good for us. As Christians. Yeah, can I just say one of the things that we hope to do next year, I've started talking to Mick about this, is uh, a 15 week course on um, Christian mission. Um, so stay tuned for that first term next year, first, or the first half really of next year, which would be great. Okay, other questions? It's Samantha, third one. Yeah. Sorry, say that again. I didn't catch it. A, a gospel plus? If that, if revolving around church is a gospel plus, is that what your question is? Can I maybe can I ask a question of your question? Is it? He's saying, is it possible to be too involved in church activities? Yeah. Can you overdo it? To the to the detriment of actually your family of your witness of, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Can yeah, I yeah. So I don't need to repeat the question. He's just done it right. So, <laughs> it's like you guys are pretty strict. <laughs> that's why I'm asking. I'm just scared. I think that's a great question. I think that's uh, yes. I do think you can overdo it. Personally, you can overdo it. So I'll just say for myself, um, I'm called to lead my family at home. It's my first church and lead the the church. Um, and so, so I say, so I say to some p people, it's easier for me to shepherd my church than to shepherd my family at times because I've got young kids. And so it could be selfish that I just overdo it here, you, you all my time to others and neglect. And so if, if the question is, if I do too much and it'll be at the detriment of my own family and leading and shepherding my family, yes, you can overdo it. Um, on, on another scale, uh, you can also overdo it just wanting to do so much you got to look at the intention. If I, I say to myself, I need to do so much because I need to be acceptable to him, that's, that's detrimental to our own spiritual life. I need to do too much so that others can see that I'm spiritual. That's also detrimental. That's we're talking about deception. But I think also we just need to be aware of our own limitations. 
Like we're finite. We can't do everything. And the church, the way we are as the people of God, th- th- God has made us as a people to be one, to complement each other's gifts and strengths. So I have, you know, we've, you've got elders. They all complement each other. The church complements each other. We're all a body. And so I think that we need to also be aware of other people's giftings and the younger ones coming up or the, 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 the new Christians coming up to serve. So you need to be aware of them as well and allowing others to contribute to the church, not just yourself. Do you have a follow-up? I can... That's very, yeah. So is planning ar- your life around church wrong? I'd say plan your life around Jesus, not the church. Um, I think that's, that's better. Because if you plan your life around just church, then you're not going to go out. Like you're just, you're not going to have any care for the non-Christian. So be in the world, but be, not be of, you, of the world. So we are, the church is supposed to, to move, to go out. So um, I think that center your life around Jesus and you won't go wrong. And Jesus will lead you to be in the church and serving within the church and being on mission, hopefully through the church, outside of the church, to the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Anna. And what goes wrong with the grain silos? Are you talking about grain silos? Or about uh, yeah, so you're talking about silos. Like, yeah, like grain silos are like these big stacks of um, wheat, you know, that are just um, singular tubes, basically. We can silo ourselves in life. It's a metaphor, right? Yeah, it's a metaphor. Yeah. You've said it. Okay. Yeah, so we've got to be careful we don't just sort of isolate ourselves. Yeah, so the importance of not staying... Yeah, I even heard that, you know, you mentioned like, no, uh, the lone wolf. The lone wolf is, is itself a myth. Uh, a lone wolf is a dead wolf. Uh, wolves stay in packs. They're actually in families. So there is no such thing in nature even as a lone wolf. Mm. If, if you see a wolf on its own, it's very soon going to die mm. because it has to be in a pack. Mm. And it seems like a good metaphor for the church. Not that we should all be wolves. <laughs> we are sheep. <laughs> Following the shepherd. Wolves are a bad thing. Wolves attack the sheep. Um, okay. Uh, ben, and a couple more questions, and then we're going to have a photo just out, outside here, okay? So lunch is at 12, and we've only got a couple more minutes, and then we're going to have a group photo, and then we'll have a couple, and I'll have lunch. Benjamin. Yeah. Any other passages of scripture that you think are really pertinent to discipleship that maybe some young, keen, young man maybe might want to go home and study this week and reflect on? There are heaps. Um, and look, to be honest with you, I didn't. So, I, yes, I developed this specifically for this camp, but these are uh, talks that I had done before, uh, but geared them towards this particular topic because I don't do topicals at church. I just do by book. Um, so so Mark stretched me, to be honest, to do this. Uh, I think there are heaps. I was going to do one Peter, to be honest. I was going to just finish with, with what, you know, Peter who's restored. Now he gives, as an elder, he gives instructions to the church. 
And in that there is discipleship. Uh, I'll probably uh, probably go to uh, uh, Timothy, uh, one, Timothy one, Timothy two as well. Um, there's heaps. There's heaps of there's heaps of. Um, I'd probably also be looking at the Gospels of Jesus and what he did with his disciples, like his life with the disciples, his, the time he spent, how he spent it, um, how he how he dealt with them, uh, how he taught them to pray. Yeah, I think there'll be there's there's heaps of heaps for you to work with. I reckon there'd be actually a really good book in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, no, 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 no. I think for you, brother. <laughs> You're I'm, a writer, mate. No, here am I. Send him. Yep. Hmm. <laughs> Hmm. So older Christians, how can they particularly help younger Christians? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Advice? I, I actually think that's the New Testament um, command for us, for the older to be discipling the younger. And I think, I, I think what, you, what, we could, what you could do is to actually just maybe establish a friendship. With, you pick one again. Like yesterday we said, just start with one. It's good to start with one. Start with one person that you pray about younger persons you pray for you approach and you use your wisdom and your life experience to read the word together to see how they're going and to give them your god-given wisdom as to how they should live um live for god through what you're reading together in the word so i think again it's intentionality of choosing one person that you want to or a couple of people that you want to meet up with to read the word together and to share life with each other that would be a blessing to them i'm sure yeah, I, I know it's already happening, but can I just put that challenge out to all the older, more mature members here? If this year you took, or next year, you took one young person under your belt to just invest in and speak into, wouldn't wouldn't that be transformative mm. for us as a church? So I think there's a really good challenge there, mm. is just to prayerfully consider just some other younger person in the church than you, Um that you might want to just just deliberately and intentionally um, catch up with um, and pray with. Um, that'd be that'd be amazing. Okay. Oh, Ange. Is it okay for a younger person to approach an older person? Oh, so flip it on its head. And uh, is it okay for a younger person to actually approach an older person in the church and say, "I would like to meet up with you"? Absolutely. Yeah. That's 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 a great way to do it as well. I mean, it's great for them, for for you younger ones, to have the initiative to say, "Hey, I'd love for you to speak into my life." That would be wonderful. Yeah. And on that final point, can I? That's a great, what a cha- great challenge for all the younger people here. Mm. Is um, some of the oldies might feel intimidated, might think so many older people think oh, I've got nothing to offer, yeah, 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 yeah. which is crazy because you've been following Jesus for so long and you've persevered. Everybody's got something to give. So yeah, there's another another great challenge that people could do okay michael's a really as you've seen over this weekend a very approachable guy if you want to chat with him please uh, we've got some more time over over lunch but let's put our hands together for michael thank you so much